Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the hearts of the people you know. This is Season 5, Coming Forth as Gold, a reading of the book of Job. You're about to hear a conversation between John and Tim Borman, twin brothers, both Christian pastors. Tim is a pastor in Queens, New York, and John is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Here's John and Tim. Well, Timothy, I I think your prayer that we just prayed together was uh, was helpful. <laughs> in what sense? <laughs> in introducing this topic, we just got done with Job chapter three. Maybe we have a semblance of understanding now why Job's friends would react the way they did, but um, your prayer was pretty raw. (laughs) Dear Jesus, please help us not to say stupid stuff like the friends. (laughs) That's honest. I mean, that's honest. It is honest. And like, like, look, it is, it is the hardest thing in the world to say the right thing to, to some, to someone who is suffering. And I, I actually think, that these friends, um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, that it was never their intention to get into a theological debate with Job. It, it was never their intention to respond like this. But but Job kind of forced their hand. I I really well, that's how they yeah, felt, like right? they they listened to Job, just cursing. You know, they listened to Job totally off the hook saying that he would he would rather find restfulness in hell and and they just they had enough you know they 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 heard it and they were like we got to say something now but timothy isn't that telling i look i think it's telling if you are if you're a person that can't take it when somebody says something wrong, um, that tells you you actually don't have a theology of grace in your heart. People say wrong stuff all the time. What are you going to do about it? You're going to get out your baseball bat. You're going to you're going to uh, straighten them out right away. Um, Jump down their throat. Look, we want. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Um, what are you going to do? That's the big question here, right? Yeah, and and one of yeah the bit. <laughs> That's one of the big questions. There's many questions here, you know, and and each of these friends are are going to be wrong in in their very own way. But 
what what they want to do is is set Job's thinking straight. They want him to think rightly about his suffering. And and so it goes it goes like this, you know, the the layout is is actually really simple. There's there's a cycle of speeches that happens here. There's three of them. Um Eliphaz is always leading it out. Um Bildad goes second and Zophar goes third. Uh and Job responds to each of the friends, um, sometimes in a shorter way, sometimes in a longer way. Each of, each of the, the three cycles of speeches, uh, the friends get shorter and shorter. And then finally, in the third cycle, actually Zophar doesn't even say a word and Bildad hardly says anything at all. Basically, yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah you were going to say something. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really key interpretive point, actually, is is uh, it's a condemnation, right, of those friends. They don't they don't have anything to say anymore. And the narrator, the the the, the Job who puts together the book, um, it, it's a condemnation, right? He doesn't even get a he doesn't even get a voice right. in the third right. cycle. And so, like, we we don't want to skip any part of the Bible. We don't want to go too fast over anything, but this is a massive part of the book of Job. And for better or for worse, Jonathan, I think what we need to do here is is say to people, like, you need to go ahead and read these chapters. Um, these these are wonderful chapters, and, and we're just going to give you some thoughts um, about and some characterizations of these friends, like like I, we can say this, like um, Eliphaz is clearly the lead friend. Uh, I, I I'll characterize him this way, and I want you to respond to this, Jonathan. But I think of Eliphaz as the um, warm, honey-tongued Southerner. Uh, he he's 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 just a he's got a warm heart, and he. I really think he's like a southerner in the United States. Like he, he's he he's wanting Job to hope in his piety. Like he says in in Job four verse six, should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? So so Eliphaz is like Job. You're you're a good guy. Um, this is going to come out okay. Don't lose hope. And and that's a nice thing to say. You know, like that. It's they're going to get meaner as they go. Actually, I think they get more vicious as the cycles go. But and the poetry gets worse. Yeah. yeah. But Eliphaz, Eliphaz is is for me. He's he's the country uh, southerner. He he's a gentleman. He's he's definitely. What would the young people say about him today? He's bougie. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a thing people say these days. But he's um, he's upper class. You know, he's very sophisticated, mm-hmm. very educated. You know this about him. His, his his even his name suggests that about him. His name Eliphaz means God is gold. So he's a golden boy, you know. In in Job, and he's listed first in the friends. Um, yeah, that's Eliphaz. So you know, this is the basic idea that each of the friends are going to say this in their own way, but they're saying Job, you know, good people, good stuff happens to good people. And for Eliphaz, that's good news for Job. You know, you're gonna you're gonna come out of this thing okay, Job. You're gonna be okay. As far as um, Bildad, Bildad 
is uh, like a Midwesterner to me. Like they they t- <laughs> this is I don't know if this is going to be fair or not, or if I'm going to offend some people all over the country. You're going to get people well, <laughs> writing in hard on this one. You're like this is well, terrible stereotyping. I'm going to have I'm going to have the New Yorker next, but. Bill Dad is is a little bit like the Midwesterner, like he's 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 Minnesota nice, like but he's not Southern nice. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't reach that and level. <laughs> he's he's Minnesota nice, um, but he's he's definitely more vicious in in his approach. And what I think was a, a, an iconic verse for him is that he he says this Job eight verse four. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Oh, oh my goodness, Bill Dad. He, he basically said, Job, at, at, you know, just days after the children's funeral, I know why your children are dead. <laughs> they were, they were, they were sinners. Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? That, can you actually, imagine, that's not like, Minnesota nice. I, I'm gonna take that back. <laughs> you take he's, it back. he's not but as I mean, vicious as just. It. You do have to think about this. Here, where what's going on here is you literally you show up at the funeral, you know, and the poor guy's kids died, and you're gonna say that it's shocking. You know, it's it's who does vicious that? behavior. You know, who who does that? Yeah, build that, <laughs> build that. But we do need to be careful. Like I, we we have to be really careful about this that we don't become bill dads. And uh, you, you know, some disaster happens either on the level of city or nation or personal. It's easy for us to think. Maybe we don't say it, but it's easy to think like they deserved it. That that's what that's basically well, what that saying is they deserved it. They're they're big bad sinners. And Christians, these are Christians saying this, Timothy. Like these are church people. Um, I don't know. Think about that. So you got build that. So far, um, I love New Yorkers. I really do. I appreciate New Yorkers because you always know where you stand with New Yorkers. And, and if, for the New Yorkers that are listening to this, like. I love you guys. I know where I stand with you. <laughs> but I, but Zoe, you know, New Yorkers, uh, I, I think characterize well Zophar. They're gonna, they're gonna let he lets you know where you stand. And and for me, Zophar is the bluntest of the group. He he really is like and and here's one. He, he, here's here's a verse that I think encapsulates Zophar. He says this. Um, you say my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. And then this, this is where he really blasts Job. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, what's he saying there? He's saying... Job, you're getting what you deserve right now, and and yet you're not getting what you deserve. You deserve worse, Job. <laughs> God's already forgotten some of your sin. So yeah, 
the, the this is it's the, hard. You know what we the call? friends have a theology of of retribution that that you're going to get um, less than what you deserve, um, in, in, <laughs> and it's going to be bad. You know, it's it's not a it's not a, a theology of grace at all. They don't understand that God chooses to freely love people and give them what they don't deserve and give them mercy and give them grace. Um, and, and none of them quite get that uh, at all. Um, what, you know, Timothy, we talked about this. What we thought we'd do is, is, is push into um, some verses really hard and, and just do something called exegesis with the verses and unpack them just a little bit. And Eliphaz is just a good example of of the way that retribution theology works and the way that uh, people view it. So I'm going to read the verses and then we'll we'll um, comment through them together. Um, but this is Eliphaz talking to Job, um, and this is what he says. I'm going to read verses one through five, chapter five. Call if you will, but who will answer? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, yet man is born to trouble, and surely as sparks fly upward. Now, I want to I I push into this, and um, there's a whole lot to say about it, but I want to unpack these verses. And um, these are very, very upsetting verses. They're very, very wrong verses. Um, Eliphaz is is completely wrong. So let's just, first of all, he asks two questions. He says, call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? So so Job, uh, he's saying to Job, hey, Job, you don't have a mediator. You don't have anybody you, you who, who's going to talk to God for you. You don't have anybody. You have absolutely no one. So he actually empties them of any spiritual hope that somebody will advocate on his behalf. Um, then what he does is he gives a proverb. He says, this is how life works. He says, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. So it's a proverb, right? It's a proverb um, that says, he, he's saying, hey, Joe, wh- why do people die? Why do people get killed? I'll tell you why. Uh, because because they're a fool. Because they're envying. So there's the retribution theology, right? You're getting what you deserve. You've been a fool. You're going to die. Um then he gives an example of this. So he moves from questions to proverb to an example. He says, I, I have an example for you. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. So he gives this example. He said, I've seen this. I've seen a fool go down. Now, I, look, we need to unpack this a little bit. Um, I told you before that Eliphaz was, was a little bougie and sophisticated and educated. And so you have to actually read, you have to read what he's saying here and you have to understand what he's saying. He's implying to Job, Job, I know why you went down. 
Now I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to call you a fool. I'm not going to out and out call you that. But I know why you're going down, and I want you to get it. So he's going by implication. But make no mistake about what he's saying. He's saying, Job, you're the reason why your kids are dead. Your house is getting cursed, Job. It's your fault that you are getting devastated. That's what verse five says. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it from among thorns. And the thirsty pant after his wealth. So he's saying, Job, the reason why you lost all your wealth is because you're a fool. This is all your fault. Um, and then he, and then he, what he does is he draws this conclusion. And so this is the conclusion of retribution theology. He says, for hardship does not spring from the soil. That's what you, we would have a saying like that in English, right? Um, hardship, we'd say hardship doesn't grow on trees, you know. It, it's, in other words, it's got to come from somewhere, Job. Where does your suffering and your hardship come from? He's, and, that's, and he's saying, Job, I want you to think about that. You're in suffering right now. Why are you in suffering? He says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. So he never comes out and says it directly to Job right here. But he's definitely implying it. Job, this is all your fault. Mm. And that's what he says. That's what he says there. Now, ah, this is very, very upsetting. This is very, very, Why is it it should so be upsetting very, very upsetting. <laughs> you got to explain that. Uh, he, here's why. This is, this is something that I want, I want all of our listeners to understand. Because I think this is, this is when I was, when I, I remember reading Job when I was a little kid. I read it and I was like, I have no idea what this means. I don't get it at all. Yeah. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. It's it seems like this mess, and um, and I didn't understand it. And so I and I don't want our listeners to be in that boat. And so I, I do want to give some clarity on this issue. I actually preached a sermon on this um, at my church a few weeks ago, and I told my people, <laughs> I told, I told them, I almost start. I didn't do it. I did not do it. But I almost came out and said to at the beginning of the sermon, this is not God's word. And the reason why I almost said that, <laughs> that's subversive, very sensationalistic, yeah. right? It's Be very careful subversive. It would that, have been man. wrong for me to do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But the point is that there are things, here's the point I'm trying to make. There are things in God's word that are there specifically so that you do not believe them and you do not do them. Yeah. So, for example, right? For example, you got Genesis three. Don't believe the serpent, right? Um, and, and there's lots of other examples, like pagan kings telling the the, the people of Judah to to um, not trust the Lord and things like that. And so, these there are very specific examples in the Bible. Satan comes in and talks to Jesus and things like that. And so, there are very specific examples of the Bible uh, in the Bible where they are given to us so we know what not to believe and what not to do. And, I'll, and I would suggest to you that in the speech cycles, we have the premier example of that. We have chapter after chapter after chapter of these friends talking. And, and it, is, it, it is what it is, is it is a wilderness. This is what I would call it. It is a wilderness of satanic truth. And here's what I mean by that. Satan never comes at you with full-on lies. That's not his normal tactic. What he does is he comes with half truths. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because does, does God? Here's the question: You know, 
does God uh, punish the sinner? Does he do that? What, is, what does the scriptures t- teach? Because Eliphaz, Bilhah, and Zophar are saying, yes, God punishes the sinner, and we, we can see that in Job's life. You know, does God punish the sinner? Yes. 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 Sometimes immediately. Is there a theology of retribution? Sometimes immediately, but sometimes it it waits till the day of judgment. You know, so that's a half truth that Zophar, Bildad, and and Eliphaz are are selling here. Um, But what truths are they obscuring with their theology of immediate retribution? Grace. Grace. Exactly. And just forgiveness, just so that everybody knows, like we're not making this stuff up and calling these friends wrong without reason. Um, the Lord, the Lord says that they're wrong, and and in fact, um, that's the Lord's is, interpretation. This is from not Job ours. chapter yeah. forty-two, verse seven. He, the Lord, actually goes and talks to um, Eliphaz and says, "I'm angry with you." And your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth uh, about me, you haven't spoken about and, Christ. And so, and and so, there's a couple of things that that we need to walk away with with that. And the and the first one is this: like we we need to go back and reinterpret the chapters of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and understand that they're wrong. And, and God's hearing all this. They're saying this in the, in the presence of the Lord, and He's infuriated. You know, the, He's they're, they're terribly mu- misusing the name of the Lord. This is a violation of the second commandment. And and so you know, the second thing we have to say is this. You know, we when we speak about God in in any context, but especially about God to the sufferer. Oh man, do we have to be careful with our words? Because we're not only in the presence of a sufferer whose ears and heart are wide open to try to understand what's going on in their life. We're coming also into the presence of God. And and he's going to hear it. And yeah. he's listening and he's caring. And, and so with great fear and tre- trepidation, we we need to talk about these these, these things. I want to I want to go further though. Like it and talk about this, like, what kind of damage is done by believing a theology of retri- retribution? I, I, I've got a list. I mean, do you, do you have a list? I've got a list. I got a list, too. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, go, oh, let's right. go. Here, let's, here's let's number one. A little you know, bit. We got to rant. If we're, if we're believing a theology <laughs> of retribution, guess what we're going to do? We are, we are going to be very unkind, very unhelpful, very unmerciful, to anyone who's suffering. I in fact you have to be because you feel like you feel like I got to give it to him. I got to set him straight. It you you feel a moral obligation to you, do it. Actually. You you need to reject hurting people and and say, "You know what? It's their fault. It's their fault that they're in this mess. You know, they disobeyed the law. They did this wrong, and and they need to know that. They they need to understand that." And so the, this theology of retribution militates against grace and militates against mercy and kindness. And coming close to people at all. You actually can't have intimate relationships and suffering. I mean, I, I can go on. 
I can go on. It turns... It turns you into a battle axe, right, yeah. is what it does. It it turns God into this arbitrary being that that dispenses gifts um, based on merit. You know, it it turns it forces us to think in a in a works mentality that we can earn the love of God, and if we just do the right things, that that we're we're going to be blessed. Um, and it li- limits the person and, and the love of God, which is the most um, harmful one of all. So, yeah, this is this it's, is bad. It's satanic. It's satanic. Look, this is and this is where I think Job is such a helpful book of the Bible, and and we we probably don't spend enough time on it in the church. But it's such a helpful book of the Bible, especially I would say, especially these chapters of um satanic wilderness you know where where these these friends are pontificating and they're blowing smoke and they're blabbering half truths and they're saying all these things about job and and they think they understand god and they think they understand job and they're trying to to lay it all down and this is so helpful for us to help us interpret our own lives because when you are in pain if this is indicative and i think it is of the world when we are in pain a lot of what you are going to encounter as a sufferer um, and is is people who will pontificate to you, and they will blabber at you, and they will tell you everything that they know about God and your own life. I heard a story. Uh, there was a there was a lady who was dying of cancer. It was really uh, she she was blogging about this. She told a story um, about a neighbor uh, who came to the door of the house and started talking to trying to comfort, be a friend or whatever, um, to the husband said, um, God has got to have a reason. And the husband said, yeah, and what is it? And and so you just have this, uh, well, all of us can think of our times when, when people try to speak into our lives and they don't do it with any kind of true knowledge, any kind of compassion. Um, they say flippant things and it can be very, very damaging. Yeah, it, it it really is. It's it, this is such a hard thing. I mean, as we think about all this, like it, it makes me think, like what what should have the friends said, you know? And and then the follow up question to that is, um, what what we what can we say what how can we be good friends because we said like these guys showed up in job's life good for them you know and and good for them for wanting to help job out of his chapter three misery but what what could they have done better and how does that help us to to be a good friend to sufferers well there's timothy there's two things i would point out two things overall that these friends never did. And now we can say more than this, but we have to at least say this. Number one, they never had a gospel thought for Job. Mm -mm. Not once. They never said, this is what I know about God. This is is his grace. This is the son he has planned for you. Um, They never had a gospel note for Job, so that's number one. They said a lot to say about God, but never that. Number two, they never prayed with him. Mm. They never prayed with him. 
They never shared the gospel with them. Those two points are... <laughs> they just wanted to sit, tell him that he was I, wrong. They just wanted to, have, to coach him. Yeah, coach him. I, look, I think this is a really, really important point. I, uh, Melanie and I, uh, my wife, uh, we were we we still struggle with it. Infertility for years and years and years was a very difficult struggle for us. Um, the Lord since allowed us after many years to um, adopt a beautiful child um, named Eliana. Uh, but it, we struggled through that and was our own little piece of suffering. And what was interesting about that experience, the observations, really well-intentioned people, and we love them, and there's no animosity there at all. But what we what we can remember during that time is that I, I, I still can't remember anybody who said to me, God has has a bigger plan for your life. Maybe you don't need to have children. Uh, let's trust the gospel. He has promises for you. And so I could see Eliphaz, you know. Uh, the second thing that nobody ever did is said, let me pray with you about this. And it was so, and in that sense, like community was far from us in our suffering. And so, bringing the gospel to people, the true gospel of Jesus, and actually having a heart that wants to sit with somebody and express pain with somebody to God through prayer, those are two things that we can see the friends never did. That That's at least a starting point for us. Yeah, and that, oh man, there, there's, there's so much that we could say about this, like, I, I don't know if my approach is right, but I, when I walk into a hospital room, when I when I walk in to a family that's grieving, um, I, I'm going to admit to you, Jonathan, that I don't I don't know what I'm going to say yet. I don't know. I the the first thing that I do is I I listen. I listen, and I want to know. I want to know where their struggle is. I want to know what their complaints are. I want to know what their joy is in the middle of it. And and what I want to do then is is help align and and help bring their thoughts to God. Um I want them to think about who Jesus is and and what he has done for them and whatever the situation is. I think I think that's not only good pastoral practice, but I think that's being a good friend. You know, I, just not to come with your verbal, we said this before, not to come with your verbal gun loaded, but but to walk in there and and just just be able to, to listen like a priest would, priestly listening, and and then to, to help sum that all up with a word from God and and then with a prayer. I think that that it it helps align people with with what God is doing. Um yeah, I don't know. I what do you what do you do in those situations? I remember back at the seminary, Timothy, you know, talking about pastoral theology and stuff and and 
I I remember picking up a line that said, you know, you should go in there with a verse or something. And uh, this is interesting. You and I have never talked about this before, but I'm the exact same way. I I go in there and with a hearing heart, because number one, I don't I don't know everything that's going on. I don't know what the questions are. Sometimes there's anger, the medical system's not working right, or uh, sometimes there's this shock, like, uh, and you, whoa, I can't believe this happened. You help people, okay, this is happening, and Jesus is with you in it. And sometimes, sometimes there's a deep joy already that's set in, and you're amazed by it, and all you want to do is join in with them and affirm them in that. Um, but people have all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of questions. And the most important gift that that any of us can give to a sufferer is a huge heart. Just an enormous heart. And um, so that the first thing, like you said, I loved your your analogy there. We don't we're not a verbal loaded gun, we're a heart. And it's beating for that person. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Um, how does where is Jesus in this? Yeah, and I I remember I remember well like Job. I was thinking about what would I have said to Job after Job chapter three for my sighing. Job said, "My sighing has has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water." You you hear that as a friend, and. And and you want to name that, you know, you want to go to a word that talks about groaning because you've listened to him. And I, I think, I think about how God groans. I think about Romans where, where the spirit groans and where creation laments. I think about, I, I think about those verses. I, I think about Jesus groaning on the cross um to bring us into a new creation i there there's so many things that 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 the friends could have named and and gone there and, and been able to help them see god for with job um in in birth, word and prayer and help help align those groans with the word i don't know you know i don't these are hard things these are hard these are very hard things, and here's what here's what I do know. This is what I do know. Um, we have a friend in Jesus. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> we sing. I, I grew up singing that hymn, and the some, there's a part of me that doesn't want to, want to sing it anymore uh, because of one of the lines. And one of the lines in there says, "Do your friends despise forsake you?" And it's and the, the 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 irony of it is that you sing that in church. You know, you're you're surrounded by people God has called to be your friend, your spiritual friend. And I want to reject that because number one, Jesus is our friend, and He doesn't give us what we deserve. He took our retribution. Uh, he took what we deserve to give us grace. Um. So Jesus is our friend in suffering. And secondly, I just, you know, Timothy, I don't believe that about the church. I, 
I don't believe that at the end of the day we're all Eliphazes. I reject that. And because what I've overall in my life, you know, I, I complained a little bit today, but overall in my life, I've found true friends. Many, many, many true so friends. So have I. Who I actually that too. are not Eliphazes. And I maybe we can all open our eyes to that a little bit and realize that what Jesus has done, you know, you got it, right? People on Facebook, I know about suffering God, whatever. And people pontificates a wilderness, right? But it's I don't believe that in the church at all. I believe that the church is full of people who follow Jesus and understand grace and want to be there in the pain and in the suffering with people. And I think it's glorious, Timothy. I actually think it's glorious. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening. 